welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 2, one penultimate minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. And I'm Scott Corelli. And uh, today we are going back to minute, what minute is this, Scott? 107. 107. Starts with the Vista Glide operator uh, and ends with... Uh, the credit for Marvin Barry and the Starlighters. Nice. Can't forget about those, those Starlighters. Yeah. Uh, so, so yes. Yeah. Any, any, any interesting credits, Scott? No, nothing. Cool. Uh, because, well, because the problem is, as you notice, uh, it ends in the, in the cast, which is weird. Uh, so half of it is cast, all people that we've talked about a million times, and the uh, the other stuff is um, it's difficult to look up because a lot of it is big groups of people, and right, not, like like departments, right? Not singular people, and so that becomes uh, difficult to look up all of those people. Not well, not difficult, just tedious. Yeah. Well, with that being said, would would you like to just uh, just cut the you know cut to the chase and maybe dive back into the sixty seven draft? Absolutely. Let's do it. So uh, where we last left our heroes, Mm -hmm. uh, Doc has dropped off the anniversary card at the post office and dropped off the DeLorean at 67 Doc's house slash garage. Uh, Because this is post fire. So he's just living in a garage now. Right. When he uh, as as we learned on the No Roads edition, he actually burnt down his house to uh, escape from uh, the government. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we now cut to the morning at the McFly home. Marty and Lorraine are having toast and coffee. Uh, the kids are eating crispy critters and watching Captain Kangaroo. And half of that. (laughs) Marty, Marty says, uh, I was just wondering what time does the mail come? And Lorraine's like around one or two. Why? And he's like, "Eh, no reason. Which is like, why? Jeez, Marty. He's the worst. <laughs> He's just the worst. Uh, and so then the phone rings. Lorraine answers it um, and says, uh, hello. Uh, oh, hi, Janice. How's everything? And she's like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. Hey, Marty, Janice uh, from is from the peace group. She wants to know if you'd speak at the anti-war rally on campus tomorrow night. Holy shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Marty says tomorrow night I can't I mean I, I couldn't this is I uh, really wouldn't know what to say and Lorraine says you can talk about your experience as a draft resistor Marty's like there's not much to tell and Lorraine says please it would mean so much to us and he's like I just I'm not good at public speaking I'll be happy to do anything else to help out cut to a paintbrush on a cardboard placard painting a peace symbol uh, it's Marty doing the painting, and he is not happy about it. Uh, and there's hippies everywhere, and they're at a hippie pad. And radio, the radio is playing White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Yes. Um, the place is directed in uh, black light posters, and there's black lights and lava lamps everywhere. And uh, we Remember hear- that one episode of Mad Men, like really early on, where Don was like sleeping with a hippie and like – Ah, he was not sleeping with a hippie. He was sleeping with a beatnik. A beatnik. Very okay. Cool. Yeah, because that was that would have been 1960. So there were no hippies yet. Right. Okay. I keep yeah. It, yeah. 
Yeah, he no, uh, I think the only hippie that we really get to know on this show is I mean, a couple characters disappear and then reappear as hippies. Right. Uh and then that that uh the girl friend that he has, the one that uh became White Canary. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh I think she's she was like the only like real hippie that we really knew really well, you know? Right. Legit anyway yeah i mean there were there were a few people that like adopted parts of their ideology later on right right um, um but anyway so okay so uh so there's there's this really weird bit where marty is uh taking the finish sign across the room and he's like picking up little bits of conversations from the other hippies and so one hippie says so like i decided to take sitar lessons and then uh, a flower girl says, I'm into making candles because, like, after the revolution, there's not going to be any electricity. And then an- another another flower girl says, you bake the peels and then you scrape out the insides, roll it and smoke it. And it's legal. Like, what could they do? Outlaw bananas? <laughs> uh. <laughs> and then uh, – Marty uh, is stopped by this guy with a mustache and shoulder length hair. And uh, he says, hey, man, like just some friendly advice here. You're blowing it. And Marty's like, what? You don't like my sign? He's like, no, your hair, man. You got to get it long and shaggy and grow out a mustache. And he's like, what's that have to do with protesting the war? And he's like, it's not about protest. It's about chicks. They, they, they go ape shit for that long hair. Make love, not war. You know what I mean? And Marty's like, I can dig it, and then walks away. And then there's some guy. There's a character in this draft in this in this room who's just called Freak. Okay. It says a freak who is smoking a joint suddenly gets very excited about the sign he's just painted. And I don't know why he's a freak. Is it just because he's a pot smoker? Is that what they called pot smokers? Freaks. Freaks? Monsters. I guess I don't know. Um, so anyway. Uh, this psychopath, uh, this murderer, (laughs) smoking a a joint. He says, Oh wow, this is so heavy. Like it just came to me. And after seeing it here, it's like cosmic, you know, it's really going to mess with people's head. Marty looks at the sign and it says power to the people. Uh, this guy has apparently created, he's apparently coined this phrase. This is, uh, this is, this is very Forrest Gump of this draft. I was going to say, I'm just, I'm just picturing like just Forrest. You know, and the land of Vietnam. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, so, you yeah. To say, man. <laughs> That's all uh, I got to say about that. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So then this other woman is like, um, all right, here's some flyers. Distribute them. Get the word out about the, uh, about the, uh, the, the, the anti-war rally. And uh, passes them out. Marty's like, yeah, I could circle some down on John F. Kennedy Drive. And they're like, okay, great. Um, so she goes and then he immediately just throws them out. Um, <laughs> and uh, is that Doc's? It is turns out. Her, uh, is that her Alex P. Keaton kind of comes out? Well, I mean, he just he just wanted an excuse to go see Doc. Oh, sure. Um, so he, he throws them out at Doc's house. So like he throws them out and then you zoom out and you're he's at uh, Doc's garage. I don't want those. And, uh, 85 Doc has just been sitting outside all night watching himself <laughs> through a window. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and Marty's like, Doc, what are you doing? He's like, 
Sorry, what happened? Did your mom get the card? He's like, the mail hasn't come yet. What about the DeLorean? Doc's like, I don't know. He seems like he's working on it ever since I dropped it off. But I'll be damned if I can figure out what the hell he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I like Marty this looks. He's a little Marty more, looks he's more surly than he was in the last one. Yeah, Marty uh, looks through the window, and sixty-seven Doc is like welding something, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there's a hole where the Mister Fusion was. So he's like taking the Mister Fusion out, and he's welding something. Uh, and Marty's like, oh, I'll figure it out. So he goes in there and uh, the uh, uh, 67 Doc doesn't notice him at first. And uh, he looks around and he notices on a countertop the torn up letter from 1955 in the process <gasps> of being reassembled. Whoa. It's about two thirds taped together. What I love about this is either one of two things has happened. Either – he saw Marty last night and was like, mm, I should really start putting that thing together. Uh, it's been 12 years. Or he just like puts one piece together like once a year. It's like a rich, it's like an annual ritual. Yeah. It's like a puzzle. I mean, it's just, it's just a little letter. Like it could not possibly take this long. It's just so funny that it's two thirds taped together. What I want to know the situation that involves him only taping it up two thirds of the way. Was he interrupted when he saw the newspaper? Yeah. Like, was he just, does he just poke at it a little bit every night? Like before he goes to bed? I don't know. There's not enough pieces for that. He only tore it into like, there's like maybe a dozen pieces. Because if I remember correctly, he tore it up about three times. Mm -hmm. So you're talking, all right, in two pieces, four pieces, and then eight pieces. Oh, damn. So it's so OK. So I'm, I'm sorry. In my head, I'm picturing like, you know, like shredded paper. You know what I mean? No, they wouldn't have had a pet paper shredder back then. I don't yeah, think. Yeah, and we saw a doc rip it up. Right. Um, yeah. No, I don't know what the hell. I don't know why it's taking him so long. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he's really smart about some things and not so much about others. Um, so. Uh, Marty, as he sneaks up behind a doc, he actually takes the knapsack with the almanac in it and he puts it in the DeLorean under the passenger seat. He hides it there, uh, so he can get back to it later. And, uh, Marty gets startled when he hears a machine start up and it turns out it's an early version of the dog food machine and it's more of a, a Rube Goldberg contraption. Than the 1985 model. Okay. So it's unperfected. And then in the end, it misses the dish. And then Newton hears it and runs through the doggy door, but sees his lunch on the floor and just starts barking at it. Uh, <laughs> just an anger. Yeah. And Mark's, uh, Doc stops and there's Mark again. I don't know why I keep saying Mark. Mark McFly. I think, I, I think it's because I saw Marty and Bark and it just Mark. combined in my head. I don't know. Uh, so, so Doc stops working and he looks up and he's like, all right, I'll take care of it. And he scoops up the food. Uh, and Marty's like, uh, how are you doing in here, Doc? And he's like, oh, I didn't even see you come in. Well, uh, and here, here's, here's where he describes what the plan is. Okay. To get him back to 1985. Like, so as you know, we need 1.21 gigawatts of electricity to power the flux capacitor without 
Without the fusion device, plutonium, or another lightning bolt, our only chance is to tie directly into the high tension lines, which brings electricity to this entire portion of the state. Sure. So he spo- Marty spots the giant pole and hook nearby, and he's like, I get you, Doc. We put that big hook back on the DeLorean. I drive on a road that goes under the wires. Then I hit 88, hook the wire, the gigawatts go into the flux capacitor, and we go, I go, back to the future. And, and Doc's like, well, you get an A in theory, but unfortunately, <laughs> none of the power lines accessible from roads are capable of carrying the requisite 1.21 gigawatts. The closest acceptable ones are here. And he indicates uh, a, a an area running above Gannon Canyon, which is going to be, I believe – would have been, I mean, again, we're 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 bringing back a canyon, a canyon, which of course becomes a very important part of part three. Of course, yeah. So I just think that's interesting. Never, they didn't, they never threw out any ideas. They just reused them. You know, just yeah. Uh, just like we have to do it again. Yeah, I just I really like that. He's like, so here's the plan. I'll climb up the nearest electrical tower and set an explosive charge that will destroy the safety regulator on the transformer at the appropriate time, which, for several reasons, is 10 p.m. tomorrow night. We'll have a full moon. I don't know what a full moon has to do with anything. I guess lighting, I guess. Um, So you can see better. I don't know. He says, and that's when the shift changes at the power company, which means no trucks will be out. I, I take it 10 p.m. tomorrow poses no problems for you. And Marty says, no, my problems will be over by then one way or another. And Jeez. Doc says, fine, this explosion will cause the wires to overload and carry the required 1.21 gigawatts for approximately 3.3 seconds before they disintegrate. Doc picks up a model car uh, and there are uh, – he has glued uh, uh, larens on a – pull onto the model car okay so he's like meanwhile we'll have modified the time vehicle with a larens to enable it to fly again you'll accelerate along canyon road lift off at the edge of the cliff fly across and make contact with the supercharged power lines within those 3.3 seconds so i don't know i didn't know what a larens are do you know what a larens are no i was about to ask you Okay, so alarons are the things on an airplane wing. So you have the big wings, right? And then okay. you have those little flappy bits yes. on the wing. That's what alarons are. Okay. They're what uh, you're actually in control of when you're moving the joystick, when the pilot is moving the joystick. That's what's actually moving. Okay, I should know that. My dad alerons. built airplanes for like 20 years. Oh, <laughs> so anyway, so that's those are Alarans. So that's what he's adding to the uh what to the to the DeLorean. So that's why that's also why they have to fly over like uh, over a cliff because it can't fly. So they're going to put the Alarans on. It's going to go over the cliff, catch the wind with the Alarans and then it's they're going to aim toward the uh cable. Hit the cable, go back in time. Okay. That's the plan. Okay? Um, so he says, uh, so yeah, so that's, what's going to happen. 85 doc outside says it's brilliant. And Marty says it's insane. And 67 doc says timing is critical. If you hook the lines early, you'll be electrocuted. If you're late, the white hot wires will melt the DeLorean and burn you to a crisp. 
And if you miss, electrical interference will short out your guidance system, causing you to plummet into the abyss or crash into the canyon walls. Let me demonstrate. And Marty stops and he goes, that really will not be necessary. (laughs) I just want to know one thing. Exactly how did you conceive of this plan? 67 Doc shrugs and says, I took some LSD and it just came to me. Nice. Yeah. So uh, he's in. He's into dropping acid. That's for sure. Yeah, it worked for the Beatles. No. Uh, so Marty's mouth drops open at this, and he looks over at eighty-five Doc, and he just shrugs. He's like, like, well, I, dude, come on! It was. <laughs> this was the time. It's, it is what it is. What you did. Uh, so then uh, we're. Uh, what kind of dog do you think oh. Newton is? I don't. I don't. I, I assume a similar kind of like terrier kind of dog, he, right? He definitely. You know, have you ever noticed he never goes for the larger breeds? Like I, Einstein is kind of the biggest dog that he that he's had. Yeah. Well, I mean, he lives in a garage. For God's sake, he can't get. He can't great get like Dane. a greyhound or a great yeah, dane that, or something. That'd be cool if uh, I'm picturing Newton kind of being like. That'd be cool if, be cool if it was like a lab. <laughs> yeah. I, but yeah. he seems to have, he seems to like long haired dogs. That's true. Like big fluffy he dogs. He and I differ in that way. They're big yeah. fluffy dogs. He likes big fluffy dogs. Um, so then uh, Doc, or, or 85 Doc and Marty are walking away from 67 Doc's garage. Yes. And Doc says, uh, it'll work. Uh, it's perfectly sound scientific logic and it's all within the technology of this era. And Marty says, all right, you're the scientist, but if we ever get back to 1985, see if you can build a time machine that runs on 9-volt batteries. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, so then we're in the evening. We're at the McFly home. And uh, Doc says, I'll wait here. You find out if she's opened the mail. Marty walks inside. Lorraine's on the phone. And she says, and Uncle Mickey sent us $500 cash for our anniversary. Can you imagine with Aunt Doris in the hospital? He's just so generous. No, Mom. (laughs) I wrote him a note saying the best present he could give us was to use the money toward Aunt Doris's medical expenses. And I sent him the money back. Oh, Lorraine. Oh, oh, no. What, Lorraine? Uh, Yeah. And then Lorraine's like, Marty, is something wrong? Uh, and he's like, I can't believe it. How can something so simple turn out to be some to be so complicated? And he's back <laughs> outside with Doc. Doc's like, if only we could have gotten your Uncle Mickey to give her the money personally. Then she couldn't possibly give it back. And uh, Doc stares in the go. There, there's a there's a they're like walking uh, past like a neighborhood bar and it's advertising go go dancers. Nice. And uh, he stares at the go go girl in the window. Uh, in a mini skirt and boots. He's like, you know, I forgot all about these places. And Marty <laughs> sees Marty sees an anti-war rally flyer taped to the window. And he's like, Doc, that's it. Lorraine wants me to speak at this rally. I'll do it. And when I get up to speak, I'll give her the money and say it's a gift from all of her anti-war friends who want her to celebrate her anniversary with her husband in San Francisco. I'll get everybody to applaud and she'll have to say yes. Then we just have to make sure she gets on the bus to Berkeley. Doc said, it's good, Marty. Very good. All right. You get yourself on this program, uh, indicating the flyer. Circulate these all over town. The bigger the turnout, the better. Meanwhile, I'll get the money and meet you in town square at noon tomorrow. He's like, Doc, where are you going to get $500? Lorraine sent it to Uncle Mickey. He's like, I'm going to go to the bank. 
and just take it out of my uh, out of my 1967 account because I am me and so it should work. And then the next next day he's like Marty says it literally cut from that directly to Marty going, "What do you mean you closed your account last week?" Doc <laughs> says, uh, I forgot, uh, I forgot a certain incident from my past. The free toaster I got when I opened the account broke. The bank wouldn't replace it, so I decided to teach him a lesson. Mario says, what did you do with your money? And Doc says, I put it in my safe. Uh, he's like, hold it, Doc. You can't rob your safe. And he's like, it's not robbery. It's my own money. Mario <laughs> says, no, I mean, you're there. He's there at your lab working on the DeLorean. I just talked to him. He figures... He, he figures he'll leave around six to set the charge on the power line and get everything ready. Doc says, no problem. I'll just wait for me to leave, then go in, open the safe, and get the money. What time do you speak tonight? Marty looks at the flyer, and he's like, uh, rally starts at 6.30, and I go on at 7.15, right after this guru guy. Uh, there's going to be a prayer for peace from Guru Amdali Raj. Uh, okay. And... Well. Doc says, then I'll get there sometime before 7.15 and slip you the cash. Marty says, perfect. Lorraine can make the 8 o'clock bus, which means she and George will get to the Mark Hopkins by 10 p.m. So now we know Hill Valley is two hours away from San Francisco. Okay. This is very helpful. Yeah. Um, So that's that's important uh, because we have always wondered where Hill Valley is exactly. So we'll have to figure out. Uh, at some point, we'll have to figure out exactly what is two no. hours away from San Francisco. Now, is it two two mi- Is it two hours north or two hours south? That's I don't know. That's the question. Okay. Yeah, or east or west. Who knows? I mean, oh, it no. wouldn't be wouldn't be west, but it could be east. Yeah, two hours east. Um. Anyway, uh. So he says that'll be uh plenty of time uh to meet the other dock at Canyon Road. And he's like, okay, I think we finally have this situation under control. And they leave. And as they walk off, another man steps up and looks at the flyer on the lamppost. It's Biff. And he reads it with disgust. And he says, we'll see about this. Um, Wow. Kind of late late in the game for Biff to show up. Well, he was already in it earlier. All right. With the almanac. Um, But yeah, he's, he's more of a nuisance in this draft. He's not a nemesis. Yeah, he's not like an, an evil mastermind. Right. Uh which I think is uh is is interesting. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, uh we are now at the we're at Hill Valley University. Um they're preparing for the uh the big uh uh anti-war thing. Um anti-war event. Protest. There's lots of like banners and there's a North Vietnam flag, a Vietnamese yeah. flag. Donovan's uh, there. <clears throat> there's also 55 gallon drums with fire in them uh. and with a sign that says put draft cards here. Uh. Um okay. and uh Marty's <laughs> no there. Drive. Yeah, Marty's there. Uh also there are some cops, including officers Reese and Foley. Yes. Yeah, God and Reese, damn it, yes. And Reese says, Reese says, look at them. You can't tell the boys from the girls, talking about the hippies. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lorraine looks at Marty, and she's like, uh, you're not nervous, are you, Marty? And Marty's like, huh, who me? Uh, and then we cut to uh, Doc's garage. And Marty 85, McQuine, nervous? Never. <laughs> never. Uh, 85 Doc is spying on his younger self. And uh, checking his watch, he's like, all right, hurry it up, Doc. Hurry it up. He's calling himself Doc. I love that. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, 67 Doc is getting everything ready to go. Uh, nearby, Newton is sleeping under a table. The DeLorean is now fully modified with a strut assembly uh, with Alarans uh, mounted on them. Uh, and it's it, it's all it's all uh, ready to go, and it's been the whole DeLorean is in the back of Doc's panel truck. Mm-hmm. So um, he's ready to go, and he departs and leaves. And uh, eighty five Doc immediately goes to the slide door, tries it, it's locked, and then he pulls out his own key and then just uses it. His key from 85. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, because he never changed the locks. Totally. Uh, so he goes inside. And then we're back at the rally. The band is playing Mr. Tambourine Man. Nice. Um, and Marty and Lorraine and the kids are joined by Stella and a, and a really dour Sam. And Lorraine's like, Dad, this is a surprise. And Sam's like, Lorraine, the only reason I'm here is because your mother dragged me here. I'll listen to the speeches, but I'm not changing my opinion. It's like, all right. Uh, so then Biff arrives at the campus front gates and he asks, hi, which way to the anti-war rally? Uh, he's also got three cronies with him. Of as course. It says. But it doesn't say who the cronies are. It just says three cronies. But we can assume. We can assume. Uh, back in Doc's garage, uh, Doc opens the safe, takes out $500, and uh, he sees that it's now 7 o'clock and his whole clock collection goes off. Uh, with a cacophony of sound, uh, just like uh, just like in the first movie. Yeah. And uh, Doc turns abruptly and knocks over a large framed mirror, which crashes to the floor and shatters into pieces. And Doc says, damn, seven years, bad luck. And, <laughs> and uh, Newton wakes up and starts barking. And Doc says, sorry, Newton, didn't mean to scare you. Now and, sleep. Uh, the doc starts calming down because he's just kind of reacting to 85 doc as if he's 67 doc because sure. he doesn't know the difference because he's a dog. Yeah. And uh, then the truck comes back and 80, 85 doc has to go hide before he can pick up the mirror pieces and stuff. It's got to be crazy for doc to just like suddenly be with his old dog again. Yeah, right. Um, there's no part in this where he goes and like pets him or anything. And I'm like, how could you not pet your dog? Yeah. Your dog that doesn't exist anymore. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Um, so uh, 67 Doc is back. He forgot the, the uh, timed bomb that he's going to. Uh, In his mind, mom. No, the, the one that he was going to use to to blow up the, uh, oh, yeah, the safety. No, I, was, I was quoting a song. Oh, um, so uh, he's like, well, where did I leave it? And he's like looking around. Right. And we go back to the rally. The rally leader is at the podium. He's like, wow, I can't believe how many people there are. This is amazing. We go back to the, we go back to the garage. <laughs> um, uh, the dog realizes that there's two different docs starts barking uncontrollably. Sure. I can and, only imagine what's going on. Yeah. And 67 dog is like, take it easy, Newton. Everything's fine. He's like, man, I can't believe I almost forgot this. And he picks up the bomb. He's <laughs> like, well, they say the memory is the first to go. And then uh, he's like <laughs> – He's like, he's like, all right, Newton, seriously, what's going on? What's the deal? And uh, he looks over. Doc's like, oh notices, my God, a paradox. Yeah, 67 Doc looks over, notices the open safe, and older Doc freezes. And then 67 Doc says, my God, the safe. Thanks, Newton. I didn't realize I'd left it open. He goes over and closes it, but he catches a glimpse of the, of the reflection of 1985 Doc in the mirror frame. And young Doc freezes and he looks at it 
And he says, great Scott, I look terrible. <laughs> and then 67 Doc and 85 Doc begin doing the classic mirror image oh, routine. Oh, yes. Where, where young Doc examines his face and hair and uh, 85 Doc repeats the mirror image of what he's doing. Sure. Classic Mars Brothers. Yeah. Yep. And he's, and then he goes, he goes, finally, 67 Doc just shakes his head and turns away and goes, well, that's it. No more LSD for me. <laughs> and then gets back in the truck and drives away. <laughs> and then. Oh, uh, that would have the, been the, the best, the line of the whole movie. Uh -huh. and the, the leader is back and he's like well unfortunately our next speaker guru Amdali Raj uh, was unable to join us tonight because he's not uh, a real person so uh, we're going to I'd like to introduce Marty DeLorean to talk about uh, resist, resisting the draft and Marty's like oh my god it's 10 minutes early this is going to be horrible so he gets up there Biv and his boys they show up on campus uh, and they they are coming up the backside of the stage platform, like in the distance. Biff says, "Perfect, we can sneak up behind, smash the microphone, and kick some hippie ass." <laughs> that's that's their whole plan. Yeah, yeah. Nice. They're just gonna kick some hippie ass. Uh, back in the garage, Doc finds an envelope, puts five hundred in it. He puts the envelope in his coat pocket and then gets on the sixty-seven Doc's motorcycle, revs it up, and blasts out of there. And then uh, Marty is clearly nervous. He's looking around in the crowd, trying to figure out what to say. He sees a sign that says, war is a waste of human life. And he's like, before I get started, I think we should all remember that above all, war is a waste of human life. <laughs> so I think it might be appropriate for us to have a moment of silence for those who lost their lives in Vietnam on both sides. And he bows his head and the crowd does it too. Uh -huh. And then he's like glancing at his watch. Like <laughs> trying to stretch out this moment of silence for as long as possible. Um, so so Biff and the gang they're getting closer. Doc is maniacally weaving through traffic on the Harley, his white hair blowing in the wind. Nice. Uh, we're back at the rally. The moment of silence is continuing, but like restlessness, everyone's getting restless. The the rally leader gives Marty a nudge. And finally, Marty reluctantly goes, uh, thank you. I'm sure you're all disappointed that the guru couldn't make it this evening. I know I am, but I know the guru would appreciate it if we all did a little Eastern meditation together. We cut to Doc, Doc Brown. Uh, he's continuing his wild driving across sidewalks and lawns, trying to get to the university entrance. Okay. Um, Marty is leading the, the crowd in a meditative chant. What pop culture thing is he saying? Right, he's saying Subaru, Mazda, Celica. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, and then suddenly, uh, Biff charges onto the stage and jumps Marty, and he says, "You're going to hell, hippie." <laughs> Biff takes a wide swing at Marty, which Marty easily ducks. Marty lets Biff have it in the jaw. One punch stuns him, a second punch staggers him, and a third punch knocks him backward off the stage and directly into Doc Brown. Doc stumbles backward and drops the envelope into the burning 55-gallon drum. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
Several cops and campus security guards run over. Biff's boys scatter, leaving Biff unconscious on the ground. Doc gets up, looks in the burning drum, is hopeless. Makes a total Doc face. He gives Marty an I tried look and shrugs. Marty (laughs) sighs, takes a deep breath, and clears his throat. And then what happens next is a full page monologue in -hmm. which Marty says... uh, Wait. Okay, I'm sorry. Keep going. Yeah, so it is a full page monologue. (laughs) <laughs> from Marty giving a speech at this anti-war rally. And here is here's the monologue. Okay. So it says, I'd like to thank our unexpected visitor for his maturity. Laughter from the crowd. Uh, well, I was asked to talk about my travels and experiences, which have been unique. I assure you, you know, we're all here to say we're against the war and that's great. But maybe we want to take a few moments to figure out what we're f- what we are for. What's it all about? For me, the answer is family. I guess you tend to take your family for granted because you just figure it'll always be there. But if you lose your family, you may never get it back. This I know from experience. Some of the radical anti-war people are exchanging looks. This is not what they expected to hear. Mari says, war tears families apart, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Because of war, some families won't even have a chance to get started. But wars end, politicians come and go, issues change, only family remains. That's why there's nothing in life worth risking your family. Not for money or power or a career, certainly not for war or the politics of war. There's a woman here tonight, a decent, kind woman who, like me, lost sight of those values. (laughs) She spent $500 to bail me out of jail, not because of me personally, but because of the politics she believes I represent. $500 she'd planned to use to celebrate her anniversary, the anniversary of the beginning of her own family, sacrificed for politics. Lorraine reacts with some embarrassment. Now, I have some personal reasons why this is extremely disturbing to me, but my (laughs) travels have taught me this. When you let politics or war or money or anything make you lose sight of your own family, you're killing something in yourself just like you're killing each other in Vietnam. (laughs) Sam Baines looks at Stella and Lorraine with warmth. He puts his arm around his wife. We can't end the war tonight, but we can reaffirm our belief in family by each giving a dollar or two so that Lorraine McFly can have her second honeymoon. As he says this, Marty takes out a $10 bill, lifts a hat from a musician, drops the cash in, and starts passing the hat around the crowd. Mm -hmm. Lorraine is very touched. She hugs her children. Marty says, come on, people. Let's all get together here. Lorraine's bus for San Francisco leaves in 20 minutes. She's got a reservation at the Mark Hopkins Hotel. Let's show her we believe in love. The band starts playing Get Together. Okay. (laughs) And uh, everyone starts putting money in. Uh, Like the police, even the police chief and uh, Reese and Foley, Uh they put money in. Uh, the chief says, outside agitator, huh, Reese? I don't see any agitation. Do you? And he says, no, no, sir. And the chief says, dismiss the charges, destroy the records, make sure Mrs. McFly gets her bail money back. If you need me, I'll be home spending time with my family. Plowing the hell out of my wife. <laughs> uh, taxi cab pulls up and a man gets out. We don't see his face as he makes his way through the crowd. 
when Lorraine notices him and does a double take, yes, it's George McFly. She runs to her husband, tears in her eyes, and they hey, embrace. Vietnam, get your damn hands off! <laughs> Dave and Linda run up and join their father. Stella is delighted. Sam nudges her. Sam says, "You told him to come down." Stella nods. Sam gives her a hug. A few moments later, uh, Marty presents Lorraine and George with the money. Uh, Sam and Stella are nearby with Linda and Dave. Uh, Lorraine says, thank you, Marty. I'll never forget this. Marty says, neither will I. Uh, a hippie p- pulls up in a, in a psychedelic van, says express bus to the Mark Hopkins Hotel, San Francisco, all aboard. I don't know why it's just a psychedelic van and not an actual bus. I don't yeah. think that bus is going to the Mark Hopkins Hotel, man. <laughs> I don't think so either. I, I, think I, it's I, going to, I think it's going straight to Timothy Leary's like sex forest. Yeah. I feel like it's it's this because they didn't want to have to like explain how we moved from there to like a bus station. Okay. But it's really weird. Yeah, I wouldn't get on that bus if I was Lorraine. No. Um so uh George says, Thanks, Marty. And Marty says, You're welcome. And George says, Marty, have we met someplace? You seem very familiar. Marty says, I just have that effect on certain people. Uh, goodbye, you two. Celebrate, have fun, get wild. Lorraine says, we will. Oh. <laughs> and Marty says, I know you will. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then uh, a motorcycle pulls up next to Marty. Doc's on it. Marty climbs on behind Doc. Uh, and Marty says, hit it, Doc. And then Born to be Wild comes up on oh. the soundtrack as they ride away. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and that's where we'll pause <laughs> this one. Oh, that's not the end of the movie no that's not the end of the movie oh, that would be the greatest movie ending of all time no we still have the canyon to deal with in tomorrow's episode oh I was uh, you know born to be wild just doc like wearing like an American flag bandana <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Um, you know, I'm kind of glad that this isn't the version that exists, but there would have been fun finding out about it, though, it, right? It's a fun what if, but this isn't a movie. <laughs> mm. Okay. Well, I mean, to be to be fair to Bob Gale, this isn't just a first draft of the movie we eventually got but this is a first draft of this movie oh of course of course yeah you know yeah so like there there's a there is a version of this movie that is the 1967 movie but is a different movie like a a better movie as perfect as as the eventual back to the future was yeah i mean you know that's that's certainly possible yeah Uh, and I, I think it's important to remember that what we are reading is a first draft of this version of the movie. Yeah, and even this first draft has moments that are, you know, delightful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's amazing. Um, hit it. Yeah. Doc. So uh, anti anti war, <laughs> anti war propaganda uh, yeah. instead of the enchantment under the sea. It's like a nom rally. <laughs> it's a nom rally. That's pretty. That's pretty magical, I think. Yeah, and uh, still features backstage shenanigans, which gets reused later on. Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy. Oh man, 
Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Do we have any? Uh, do we have any emails today, Scott? Yes, we do. Okay, uh, so our first one comes from. Uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, so John Car- John. Uh, we'll just say John. I don't want to give last names. Um, just in case. So John says, Goodman. Uh, "Dear, dear back and friends." Um, <laughs> We all know that Dr. Emmett Brown wanted to travel to the Old West more than any other time period. Where would you choose to live the rest of your lives if your DeLorean was struck by lightning? Best wishes, John. What about you, Nick? Uh, You know, as much as I love the past, there's there's nowhere I'd rather live than... Than right now, you know. <laughs> uh, but but if that, you had to, I like, know, like yeah, as, but yeah. If, if your if your DeLorean was struck by lightning, totally. I would like. I think it would be really fun to be stranded in like the late sixties, early seventies, mm. so that I could like become involved in like the movie business at like in that era. That is uh, that is definitely. That is the time period that I thought of too. Mm-hmm. Uh, to like come up at USC with like Lucas and Spielberg, yeah, like, like Coppola and the Palma. <clears throat> totally. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, not to copy your answer, but that was my answer too. Oh, hey, look at us. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I guess we'll just go back together. Yeah. Just imagine like those old photos of like Coppola and like Lucas when they're like in full like big bushy beard and like sweater mode, and then just in the background you just see like Scott and I. Just like tinkering away on like R two D two, yeah. Because I feel totally. like because we wouldn't want to change anything. You know what I mean? We would just, just want to just our careers. Yeah, just our career. We would just be flies on the wall. We would be like Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, just anytime Lucas is like, Rrr. well, first off, I would, I would, uh, the one thing I would change, the one, and 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 maybe you would try and talk me out of it for the sake of the space time continuum, but I would, uh, I would insist that George Lucas had the right idea when he made Luke Skywalker a girl. Mm, interesting. Because I would be really interested to see what that would do to, like, pop culture. Yeah. I forget. There was a very specific reason why he turned it. He changed the character from a girl to a boy. I think it was, like, the the issue of, like, kind of just, like, the father and son, like, generational thing. No, because that wasn't part of it. Okay. I need to read my, my, my book again. Yeah, I don't remember. Because uh, despite what George Lucas says repeatedly, he he did not know that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father. Sure. Um, so that's not it. I don't. I don't. I don't remember what it was. There well, was originally a, there was a uh, uh, David Powers. Uh, is that his name, David Powers? The, I don't know who you're talking about. The, the body of Darth Vader. Um, oh, uh, 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 it's not Powers. It's like Priors or. Prowse. Prowse. Yeah. Um, well, when, while they were recording, well, while they were just filming that scene, um, the line that was delivered to Mark Hamill was, Obi-Wan is your father. Was it? Oh, no, it wasn't Obi-Wan. I think it was, I knew your father or something like that. Because oh. they had to make sure that it wasn't something that he wouldn't talk about. Oh, okay. Because if it was Obi- Obi-Wan is your father, he would have spoiled that. And then everyone would have been like going into that movie thinking Obi-Wan was his dad. Yeah. Yeah. You made out with your sister. Because he's, he's uh, David Prowse was a terrible man who just <laughs> refused. He just he just wanted to ruin these movies for everyone because he, he just he wanted all the attention. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he's really mad that he didn't play uh, Darth Vader in uh, Episode Three or in uh, uh, other things. Yeah. Well, I'm glad um, he's dead. <laughs> I, no, he's not. I said I'm glad he's dead, <laughs> but he's not dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, oh, yeah. So, so die before we post. <laughs> so, John. Uh, um, Oh God, that would be terrible. Uh, so, John, uh, yeah, our answers are the same as it turns out. Yeah, um, yeah, it'd be uh, dude. We could totally work for 60s. like like John Milliers. Yeah, sure. Oh, man, that'd be dope. Yeah, I just want to go to USC with those guys. Yeah, I think Zemeckis was at USC too. I think he was in the class after Spielberg and all them. We could help found if we even uh, we could help even we could like help found Pixar a little earlier. Maybe. Yeah. A A one thirteen. Don't know anything about computer graphics, so I don't know how we would do that. But sure. Learn. <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh. So thanks, John, for that. Oh my God, we get. To, I would totally hook up with like Jim Henson and like. Get oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Uh. So our next one comes from Haley, who says, "Uh, here's here's a few questions." Okay. She, her first question is, "Where do you think Jennifer was in the Biff horrific timeline?" Do you think she and Marty would have even known each other? Where do Hill Valley kids go to school if the school is burnt down? Slightly related. How do you think Jennifer and Marty got together in the first movie in the first place? We don't know about about their relationship or how they work together personality-wise. I just really wish I could see Jennifer be a butt-kicking part of his and Doc's time travel team. I agree with that. I agreed 100%. So I we, I think we talked a little bit about about this, but I like to believe that in the Biffhorific timeline, no, I don't think that Jennifer and Marty are together because I think Marty is in Switzerland with uh, with Michelle Pfeiffer. And um, but I do think that Jennifer is a very important member of whatever kind of underground resist like, you know, resistance that <laughs> right. is dedicated to overthrowing uh, uh, Biff. Yeah, I think she's kind of like. You know, like she would be like a Ginny Weasley, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I think Hill Valley kids, I agree with that. I think Hill Valley kids go to just the next school and in, in like the next town over. Yeah. Um not to be not to be boring, but I don't I just don't think that Biff would bother building another high school. Sure. After that one burned down. Um so that's what I think. Or maybe they're like the kids in Thunderdome and they don't even go to school. Yeah, that too. Uh, so how effort. do we think Jennifer and Marty got together in the I, first place? Was that covered in the comics? I feel like it was, but I don't remember. Well, I agree that I don't remember it if they did. So so okay. so let's 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 yeah, so let's just assume that okay, like so I believe that I think I imagine Jennifer like over like kind of stumbling upon Marty during like band practice. Or like, you know, like jamming, like in the garage, mm. just like, meow, meow, just like playing Huey <laughs> Lewis of the News by himself in the garage. <laughs> and Jennifer's like, oh, look at that tiny little dreamboat. That's amazing. And because <laughs> I, I, I think that I think that since him being a musician is such a big part of why Jennifer is attracted to Marty, then in my brain, like maybe that's what he was doing the first time that she like saw him. Uh-huh. Um, what do you think? I seem to remember... I remember because she's in that first story, right? In that that uh, when Marty met Doc, isn't right, she? Yeah. It, she's in it, and he like has a crush on her, but mm-hmm. they're not together yet, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, so I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, I think. I see. I don't think that it would would have been random. I think he would have come up with some sort of grand gesture to like ask her out. Oh, see, I, in my head, I think Jennifer almost had to like force Mari into being the one to ask him her out. Oh, that's interesting. That's not how I see their relationship. Oh, okay. See, I would see. I see Jennifer. Being or at least, or the, at least the, the Jennifer in the first movie. Oh, okay. I don't see that Jennifer doing that. That's very true. I, I, that Jennifer is like very like no no no. You come to me because that's how men and women work. Mm-hmm. You know. Whereas the Elizabeth Shue Jennifer, I think, is more like Sadie Hawkinsy. Yeah, yeah. So I I I think uh, I think uh, Alpha Jennifer and Beta Jennifer probably have two different origin stories. Yeah. I think. Well, Beta um, Jennifer just kind of like, you know, like like Dawn Summers was just all of a sudden just there. Like, right. Well, like, yeah. Well, no, because she she uh, she was the one that was dating Beta Marty, you know? Oh, right. Right. OK. Yeah. Yeah. So she existed. OK. Um, was, what was the other part? That was it. OK. Because she, she I mean, because, yeah, I I uh I will say if you want more of Jennifer and Marty's relationship, <clears throat> there's really good stuff in the comics with that. What if – okay. That, so last, Jennifer, that last arc that they just did had a lot of Jennifer in it. It was really good. Yeah. So she's, she's really like the third. She's kind of like the Mickey or like the 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 the, the Arthur Darvel. Yeah. Yeah. She was a main part of the uh, adventure in this last arc. So, okay. Think about this, Scott. Mm-hmm. It's Hill Valley High, 1980. Three. Um, did they say how long they've been dating? No. Anyway, so yeah, let's say let's say it's like the fall of eighty. Okay, whatever. So it's it's, 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 it's high school. They they did not start dating prior to eighty four at the earliest. Okay, so it's it, it's eighty four. Mm-hmm. They're um, <laughs> that's true. They're they're at the cafeteria. Jennifer's like with her her friends. You know, she's like just eating lunch, maybe talking about like how excited they are for like that new movie, The Terminator. Or like the Breakfast Club or something. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Um, she's like, oh my god, that Bill Murray is such a dreamboat. Um, <laughs> then, oh, that would be weird. <laughs> what? Who were girls into in '84? I don't know. I don't know. Michael M- Bean. Emilio Estevez. Yeah. <laughs> um, email us. Tell, help, <laughs> help us out. Uh, <laughs> email us, girls from 1984. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> girls who were around in '84. You know, like yeah. Um, so um, then. Marty stands up on the cafeteria table and starts singing uh, I Think I Love You to, <laughs> to Jennifer. Scream 2 style? Scream 2 style slash Top Gun style. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was that was like a that was a weird Top Gun reference. I forgot yeah. about that. I don't I don't like Top Gun, so I don't ever. But you love I, Scream 2. Yeah, I love Scream 2. I don't I don't recognize uh, Top Gun references most of the time. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that 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 that's my that's my head cannon. All right, fair enough. I, I like think that. I love you. So uh, the next question is: uh, If you could sit down and have a conversation with Bob Gale, what would you ask him? What would you want to know? Okay. You want to go first? Go ahead. Um, why did you say that rude thing about us at that con? <laughs> Did we talk about that on this? On, I, on I, don't think, I actually don't think we've ever talking about that. Okay, so so uh, a listener actually met Bob Gale and told him about the show, 
and uh, he said that the, he he asked, "Don't we? Don't those guys have anything better to do?" Um, we said no, and we said no, and then we cried. We were literally uh, together. We were like at the mall. Yeah, we were at the mall together when we got that that uh, that Twitter notification. That was when we were going to see Motion City soundtrack featuring a friend of the show, Tony Paxton. Yeah, totally. Uh, um, I would. I would uh, well now I would ask him all about the '67 draft. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I would ask him. I would probably ask him about other ideas, like fleeting. No, no matter how fleeting they were, like mm-hmm. maybe they didn't end up in a draft, but like what other, you know, what other ideas, what other time periods did you think about? You know? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably ask about his flash script. Oh yeah, I totally ask him about his flash script and kind of just like you know what. What what kind of uh, what made you kind of quietly peacefully walk away from screenwriting? You know what I mean, right? Or, or or was it? Or was there like you know were you burnt by the system? Or like was it just like a you know your your heart your art your artistic heart kind of took you more towards comic books? You know, right? I'd be really interested to learn about about, about that. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd want to know. I'd want to know a little bit about Back to the Future, but for the most part, I feel like we know most of the Back to the Future stuff. So I would be asking about other things like his flash draft and uh his comics work and yeah or just what was it like writing with bob zemeckis right yeah what was that, that process like yeah, how did you guys how did you guys you know do it yeah because you know we i i listened to the uh the used cars commentary for the for the no roads edition and that was like what oh three oh four and like and they seemed like total like chums you know what i mean uh-huh. like so i don't i don't think there's any like bad blood between the two men so i'd be interested to see like how that partnership sort of ran its course so to speak yeah yeah that'd be that would be interesting um i don't I know but like i slept with my wife you know what i mean like i hope that there's not <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i i mean yeah i, I think i would just want to talk to him about like just just general career stuff i think yeah um Probably asking about one more day, Br- one brand more, new day. Oh, oh, brand new day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Spider-Man thing that he was part of. Um, last question: uh, If you could have been involved in any aspect of the Back to the Future trilogy, what would you have wanted to do? Editing, lighting, stunt driver, Einstein's handler. What? One hundred percent Einstein's handler. <laughs> assistant to einstein assistant to einstein um what would i have wanted to do i think i would have wanted to be kathleen kennedy's assistant oh totally yeah that'd be dope just yeah. helping her make hollywood history yeah i think that's what i would have wanted um if if we're talking directly to do with the back to the future trilogy I'd like to act in it. I'd like to. I'd like to be to play someone in that. Oh yeah, that makes sense for you. Even yeah. if it, even if it was just like you know uh, like yeah. a mailman or something. Yeah, you could play Einstein's stunt double. Yeah, I could play a, like yeah. Whenever Einstein yeah. like jumps from roof to roof while or <laughs> is driving the car. Yeah, <laughs> you just see like a, a human pair of arms like. Um. <laughs> 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 Uh, I could see you I, having a lot of fun, like helping design the like the flux capacitor and what have you. Well, but but the thing with that is like it, it already exists, and I wouldn't want to change it. So I don't oh, know. Right. I'm trying to think of I. You know what I'd want to do? I would want to take. I think I'd want to. I'd want to do another draft on parts two and three. 
boom. Yeah, kind That's of like, what an, I would kind of like an uncredited rewrite. Right, an uncredited like final draft, like production draft rewrite on Pull parts two and three. Yeah, totally. I think that's what I'd want to do if I could do anything. Um, all right, and she also says, "I can't believe you're finishing up the second movie already." Ah, neither can we. Neither can we. And uh, uh, that about wraps us up for today, right, Scott? Yeah. Yeah. If you want to visit our website, you can go to duelinggenre.com and leave comments about. Uh, I mean, how do you think Jennifer and Marty Matt? What would you do if you had a time machine? All that fun stuff. Uh, contact at backtothefutureminute.com. We are still going to be recording our No Roads edition, which we've already mentioned a lot this week. And, uh, you know, for as little as $5 a month, $5 a month, you can uh, have <clears throat> access to all of those episodes. Uh, and we need your emails and discussion points so we have stuff to talk about uh tweet us at bttf minute we love hearing from you guys on twitter we love discussions and we you know retweet you know cute pictures of uh leah thompson and you know fun stuff like that uh bttf <laughs> nick minute. talks about wanting a locker so he can put it in yeah i'm shame uh, no phrasing uh bttf minute.tumblr.com <laughs> we are uh you know we kind of lost touch with our tumblr which is our own fault but uh we are you know going to be you know bringing that thing back to life and we we, we get some really cool feedback from listeners on on tumblr and mm -hmm. uh, it's really dope. Uh, like it's on Facebook. And, and expansive stuff. Like we were with that post about foreshadowing was pretty cool. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Like, like you, it, it's really like I love Tumblr because it's it's a little bit, the you, you know, you're allowed such creativity and yeah. and sharing stuff. It can be visual. Yeah. It can be audio. It can be pictures. Um, like on Facebook, leave us a five star review on iTunes, which is just always so swifty for podcasts um, listen to our other shows like the doctor's companion, which we talk about doctor who with Cassandra Fredrickson geek by night, which is our audio comedy drama adventure. That's Scott and I lovingly produce and write and direct along with a lot of other people. And I'm mm -hmm. uh, so proud of it. And uh, you can help us out again for as little as $5 a month at duelinggenre.com slash support or click on our donate button or buy merch. So you can get, uh, your Back to the Future Minute coffee mugs and shirts and posters and what have you. And if, you know, you're not able to help us out financially, which is totally understandable, the best thing you could do is just spread the word about everything that we're doing. And as always, special thanks to Patreon associate producer Leaper1A2. And we will see you tomorrow on Wednesday for our final minute of Back to the Future Part 2.